I had the opportunity to say that instead of Pastor Jeremy coming out here during his sermon time. So this is the sermon portion of our message. And um, my name is Troy Greasy. I serve on the elder board. I have the privilege of doing that. And then today um, I'm going to give you a little roadmap of what's kind of going on for the next couple weeks, just so you understand kind of what's going on. Um, but that'll define why I'm here instead of Pastor Jeremy. Um, this week, you may notice that um, I'm here along with Ken Wolf, and we'll be speaking on shepherding. Um, if you've seen the title of the sermon, it's Shadowing the Shepherd, so you'll hear about that. Next week, um, Jeff Kohlinger and Dave Shoemaker will be talking on stewardship. In particular, he actually texted me this morning, he said, Pursuing Eternal Gain Through Contentment in 1 Timothy 6. So that'll be that, that particular week, next week. Following that, Pastor Jeremy will be speaking on the um, gospel focus of our mission and vision. So that'll be a good sermon. And then after that, um, week four, I guess, this will be one, two, and three, we'll be talking, we'll be moving back into what we do on a normal basis, which is an exegetical approach to a particular book. Pastor Jeremy's been working through Mark over the last couple summers, and so he'll be picking up where he left off there and going all the way through Easter. So that'll be a great to be able to finish that book and be able to put, in, put that in time for Easter, be able to have it all come together. Before we move into a further part of the sermon, um, let, me, let me pray over things. Lord, you are good. You're eternal, you're everlasting, you're the almighty God. As our good shepherd, we pray that you would give us the words to hear today. We know that everyone's coming from a different perspective and different um, life circumstances. But today we ask that you would give uh, Ken and myself the words that you would want them to hear, um, that we wouldn't speak of our own accord, but that we would speak through the scriptures that you've laid upon our hearts. We ask that you would do that for your glory and your glory alone. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So to, to frame the discussion that we're going to have today, I really wanted to start with the text. The text that we're going to be going over so you can have it ruminating in your mind while we're going through it is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. You should see it on the screen, but I'm going to read it in, in the ESV version just so we have a good context of both my testimony as well as what Ken's going to share later on. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says this, So I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So my part of the sermon today really is a real small part, and Ken's going to really unpack a lot of the First Peter um, verse that I just read. But my part is really to share with you my testimony, my story of how I came in to be an elder. Obviously, one of the roles of an elder is to be a shepherd of the congregation. And so that's why we thought it was important to actually put maybe this as a first part of the sermon so that Ken can make reference to it. So um, if you're unaware, Mid Midland Free has a nomination process for the role of eldership. And it goes through what we call the EPAC or the Elected Positions Advisory Committee. I think that's what it's, what it's for. Uh, Chris Shirk was a part of that team, and he came to me a few years, uh, many years back actually now, and asked if I'd ever considered the role of becoming an elder. And I said, well, you know, through various sermons and, and studies over the years, we came across the First Timothy passage, which you should see on the screen, I'll read. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. So 
obviously had been on my mind from all those teachings. And, and who doesn't want to do a noble task, right? So that's my perspective. And I said, yeah, I, I think I've considered it. But there was also that part of me that when you read the aspires word that I really kind of wondered, is, is that really, what's my aspirational goal? Why do some people aspire to certain things? And did I aspire to the role of an elder as a servant? Or did I aspire to as a role of an elder for leadership or, or power or anything along those lines? And that really wasn't it. But I didn't really come to understand until later on or read through the verse until later on. So I said, well, let me pray about it. And so I went to the process and said, look, we'll pray about it. And so my wife and I went through and we were praying about whether or not it made sense for, for me to step into the candidacy process for the eldership. And uh, through much prayer and consideration, we went through and we decided that it really wasn't the time. Um, we were homeschooling our kids at the time. We recognized that the split in duties, my role specifically was I was doing a lot of teaching um, with my kids. And so it was really difficult for me to, to share the load or, or to do it both. I really wanted to do, as Ephesians 6 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. So I didn't think I could properly devote the time needed to be able to do both. So I knew it was a time for me to step back and say, I'm not going to be shepherding the congregation or being a part of that shepherding role with others, but I'm really going to step into a role or pour my time and attention into shepherding our kids with my wife. So that was a key component to understand. The next thing for me is I really understood more about what it meant to be aspired to. So if you read through our, our passage, the first passage that I went through in First Peter, aspires really kind of lean, learns, leans more toward the willingness. And so I think that's where I really understood that my role was being willing to serve as an elder. That's what my goal was. I really didn't want to have any position authority necessarily, but I really wanted to be a servant of the people of God and really to do what he called me to do. So I think I got that checkbox marked off. It really wasn't a selfish desire of mine, but it was really um, that time. So he helped me to see that during that time of waiting. Another aspect of waiting was he grew my heart. I didn't know what it meant or that I didn't really need to have my heart grow. And I served the Lord in many different capacities here in the church. A lot of times, I mean, I'd be behind the scenes over there or back over here if you've seen me. Um, in children's areas, in different various places, I've, I've served the Lord. But I didn't know that he needed to grow my heart to be able to be a better servant for him or a better shepherd in that particular case. And he did during that time. It wasn't like the Grinch, you know. It wasn't necessarily growing three times that day. But I was faithful. I knew I needed to be faithful to God's call. And so that's really what, what I saw during that time. Um, he prepared me. The, the last thing that I really want to point out is that he prepared me to trust in him. So I, I felt stepping into the role that I don't know for sure really what I had to offer. So Chris came to me and he, he offered me to, he actually proposed that I move into the candidacy process. But I thought, what do I have to offer as an elder? I said, oh, there's lots of things that I do. If any of you know me, um, my education is in computer engineering. So lots of ones and zeros. I've done the calculations that, to, that describe how electrons flow through silicon. What value is that to shepherding a congregation or being a part of somebody's life? None. I'll tell you right now, none. Um, what about uh, my current day job? I currently work in the IT department at the hospital. So I support a lot of the systems that keep all the back-end operations going. Again, I don't know if that really offers a lot in shepherding, but I figured I would trust in the process and say, if you felt that I had the qualifications and the ability to be able to step into that role, that I would do it. So I was trusting the Lord's leading. That's really what it was. I was taking a step of faith. And I knew that he could use me for his glory. And that's really what it was. I think that's something that we can all learn. We could recognize that it's not what we bring to the table. It's what God has to use through us in the process. And I've seen that time and time again. Um, in the three and a half years that I've served as an elder, I recognize that there are times where I walk away from a conversation or, or an instance where we've, we've done some um, hard things. And I say, where did that come from? I have no idea. 
And then I really recognize it's really God. I have to praise him for the work that he's done in and through me. And so I hope that you know that that can happen. And I'm living proof of it. Um, I really felt, and this is a key that I was talking with, with Ken about, says, I really felt that I brought five loaves and, and two fish. I don't know what I have to offer to bring, but he really made it so much more, and he has continued to do so. Um, and my story may not seem like much to you guys, but what I wanted to really share with you is that God continues to grow me, and he will continue to grow you as well. It's a situation where I know that there's going to be situations coming up that I'm going to continue to have to shepherd and do things that I don't know how to do. I'll just step forward in faith and know that he will, he will allow me to do it. Um, like uh, Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's really what our role is to do, is to step forward into what he's called us to do so that he can be given the glory. And I look forward to that and how he's going to continue to advance um, and bring people into my life to be able to be a part of that role. So at this point, I'm going to hand it over to Ken so he can do the meat of the program and uh, share with us how we can all um, have a role in shepherding, whether it's being shepherded or shepherding others. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Isn't it neat to see how God works in lives? You, we, could have, we could pass around the mic and see that in everybody's life, how God uses you. Pastor Jeremy, good to see you here this morning. I have renewed appreciation for what you go through <laughs> in preparing for this sermon. So thank you. Oh, and by the way, summer's coming January 30th. Did you hear that? That he's picking up in March and he does that during the summer. So you got some cool influence, man. Appreciate it. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago on the phone, somebody I, I've known over the years, and they were, we were just kind of chit-chatting. But then I could tell there was something, her voice kind of changed. And I could tell that there was just something that was really on her heart. So I asked her about it, and she said, well, she's a, basically a single mom, one son. And her son had just recently been told by his wife to leave. So the son came and lived with this gal I was talking to. And she was, she'd, seen, she'd seen heartbreak. <laughs> she knew this was even worse. It was really hitting home. And she was just explaining to me how saddened she was that this had happened. She's, she likes to do handiwork stuff around the house, so she was going to go to Home Depot. So she said to her son, hey, I'm going to Home Depot. Do you want to come? Do you want me to get you anything? And his reply really summed up his situation. He said, why would I go to Home Depot? I don't even have a home. We as believers have a home. We've been singing about it. We've heard scripture about it. We have not only a destination, but a place. For those of us that are here at MEFC, this is our home, in a sense. This is our family. I, I want to tell you where I want to end up, okay? So that hopefully you can kind of see the, the flow of what's going on. We as believers need to be caring. We need to be caring, and it's motivated or driven by our shepherd. Maybe some of you have, have done, done job shadowing. Maybe you've been the person 
the expert, or maybe you've been the person trying to learn the skill. Woodworking. I see Heinz sitting up here. He's a woodworker. I, I bet you he. I bet you people have shadowed him <laughs> to see the skill that he has. You don't say that. You don't watch somebody who's doing something and walk up to him and say, "What? Well, no, 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 no. You, you, you got to hold it this. Way. You got to use this piece. No. You observe. You see how they're doing things. That's what we as believers have. That's the privilege we have with a heavenly shepherd in Jesus. We get to job shadow Jesus. (laughs) How cool is that? Before we look at this passage, I want to look at some background. Um, We know a lot about Peter. We have the gospels. We have his own testimony. In fact, um, scholars say the book of Mark was written with probably Peter sitting next to him. And next time you're reading Mark, think of that. Because there are many times when Simon takes kind of the, the lead role. Not always in a good way. He's kind of revealing how Jesus is working in his life. But there's a, there's a time when, it, when you think of Peter's screw-ups... You think of when he said, you're the Christ. That was good. But three or four verses later, Jesus, he starts to rebuke Jesus. He starts to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of men. Okay, so Peter could be really good and go from really good to really bad in a very short time. Or think of his denials. Just before, while Jesus is being under trial, he denies Jesus three times. But what's really cool is you look at Mark 16, when people are coming to the tomb, Jesus is risen, and the disciples aren't there yet. But the person, the angel, isn't really described in Mark 16, but it's probably an angel, says to the people that have discovered the newly empty tomb, says to them, go and tell his disciples and Peter. I love that. No failure is final. We can mess up. We have a shepherd that's saying, come back. Come back. Come to me. Or another time. Let's take a look at Mark 9.33. I think it's going to be on the screen. This, this passage, and I want to read through this because there might be some phrases in here you jump through. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. 
Now, there's a phrase here, unless you're from U of M, you probably ran right through it. It said, entered the house. Not the big house, just the house. Okay, they're in Capernaum. Mark has established from chapter 1 that this is the house of Simon and Andrew. So whose kid is standing there that Jesus takes in his arms? It's, the, it's probably Peter's kid. What a better way to make an unforgettable reminder to Peter that Jesus is the one in authority. He takes this little kid in his arms and he said, this is what it's all about. One of these little kids who believe in me If you want to be great, be like a little kid. You want to be a servant? Be servant of all. I think Peter, when we get to 1 Peter 5, we're going to see that Peter doesn't just describe how an elder should be doing things. He also gives the flip side of how not to do it. (laughs) Peter knew how not to do it. And I think that's why Peter says, here's how to do it, but don't do this. Here's how to do it, but don't do this. Peter had seen both sides. In his own life, he had seen that it was pretty easy to mess up. But he knew no failure was final. He could come back to Jesus. Okay, let's take a look at 1 Peter itself. There's really two places. Peter tells us, which is really helpful, why he's writing he tells us in chapter 5, verse 12 of this, ver- of this book, he says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace. This word, this Bible that we have, we, we don't come to this book to see if it's right or not. When you're reading a newspaper, you're listening to a newscast, you don't know if these people are saying what's true or not. Everybody's got an agenda today. This book has an agenda, but it's very different from anything else. This book, when we come to it, it reads us. This word is truth. And Peter's reminding us You can bank on this. This is where it's at. The other verse that is also relevant as to why Peter's writing, he tells us in the second epistle, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. We all use reminders. You know, your phone beeps, you, you, whatever it is. You're still using a day planner. Whatever you have, write sticky notes. We all like reminders. We need them. Peter's saying, here's a reminder. This is truth. Maybe it's not new, but it's pertinent. It's real. It's true. The idea of shepherding, I I don't know if you think of, are there synonyms for shepherding? Yeah, probably. But you think of the elements in shepherding, maybe protecting, caring, 
nurturing. It, reading Psalm 23 was, was just great for, for an opening because when David wanted to summarize his relationship with God, he didn't talk about being a soldier. He didn't talk about ruling, being an executive, being a king. He talked about shepherding because that was the model that David used and went back to. That was his go-to way of looking at his relationship with his father, the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's Psalm 23 is just a declaration of here is where it's at. This is what I've learned early in life, and this is what has remained true throughout life. In fact, he ends by saying forever. <laughs> That's a long time. God is our shepherd forever. It's interesting that when you, when you think of shepherd and you think of how God used shepherding and that role in the lives of people, you, you think of David. Moses was a shepherd during that 40 to 80 period in his life. Joseph, you, you read in, in Genesis 37, that's, how he's, that's when he's first introduced. He's a shepherd, 17 years old. Then for 13 years, he's not a shepherd. Well, he's not a shepherd of people. I mean, of sheep, but he's a shepherd of people. He'd learned his lesson. He'd lost his culture. He'd lost his people. He'd been forsaken, given over. But Joseph went back to the lessons he learned of God's faithfulness as a shepherd. And that's what brought him through those years of a really tough time. But the idea of shepherd is actually an eternal concept. I, I was surprised to learn this. In anything down here that means anything has, has a heavenly counterpart. Or maybe... Down here's the counterpart, and the real is up here. In Revelation chapter 7, it says, well, okay, I'll just read it from here. Revelation seven fifteen. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. It's a heavenly concept. It's an eternal concept. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the familiar verse from Matthew 2, which is a quote from Micah 5, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. If you look at the way the word shepherd is used in the Old Testament, 138 times. Most of the time, it's like a newspaper occurrence of it, you know. Fred was shepherding Joe's flock or whatever. But God takes that idea of shepherding and he uses it to shape the lives of people and to demonstrate that he is our shepherd. 
He is our example. He is the one that we should look to. Okay, we finally get to our passage here. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. Let me read it again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's leave that slide up there if we could for a minute. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter doesn't say, now look, you clowns, I'm the boss, listen up. No, he identifies with the elders. We don't know what elders he's writing to. There are elders in the churches all over the place that are reading this letter and elders today. Peter's saying, I'm one of you. We're in this together. There is, at the end of the passage here in verse 4, it says, and the chief shepherd, notice it doesn't say the chief elder. The chief shepherd, the one who cares for us, is the one that we should be focusing on. So, again, back to verse 1. Witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He's identifying with these people. We have the same Savior. We have a shared life and vision and eternity together. We're in this together. If you look at 1 Peter and read the first four chapters, there's there's no distinction of saying um, people with this job title or people with this heritage or people with this color hair. No, we're all together. Believers are in common living lives that honor the shepherd. That's the whole point of 1 Peter. It's not until chapter 5 that he even gets to the point of breaking out the idea of elders in their shepherding responsibility. Elders have a shepherding responsibility. It's not unique to elders. All of us, all Christians, are shepherds. It's gone now. Okay. Remember, I said that there, there are three things that we as shepherds, as elders, should be doing. And again, it's here's how to do it, here's, not, here's how not to do it. Uh, where are we here? Not under compulsion, but willingly. When I was a kid, I don't know, eight or nine, my parents got me a Cape Canaveral set. I loved rockets. I loved stuff that, you know, you could pretend it's blasting off and all this kind of stuff. But when there was one piece of this Cape Canaveral set that was supposed to launch this little flying saucer that had kind of round with wings in it, you know, and to go flying on. Oh, I was so looking forward to playing with that thing. I, I got it at Christmas. I set it all up. I looked through the box. And the key piece to make that thing was missing. 
It was gone. It just wasn't there. Okay, so this is 1959, 1960. You got no internet, long distance. You didn't do that. There was no phone number on the box anyway. But there was an address. So my mom said, here's what we're going to do. She gave me a piece of paper, and I'm sure she told me what to write. But I can actually remember writing this letter to the company that made this thing and said, you know, this is a catastrophe. I probably didn't say catastrophe. This, this is bad. I need this part. I bought this thing. I got it as a gift. I don't have the key part that I need. I really wanted this thing. So I put the letter in the mailbox, sent it off. Check the mailbox. Check the mailbox. Finally, I actually get the part. I loved playing with that thing. My mom shepherded me through that process. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was clueless. Write a letter? How do you do that? Probably never written a letter before. She walked me through it. She came alongside. She had me have some vested interest in how to do this. And I, I'm sure getting a little kid's writing, if they could read it, apparently they could because they sent me the part. But they, this company gets this letter and they said, oh, you know, we messed up. We got to send this part out. They did. You know what? I still like to get the mail. <laughs> and it goes back when I was a little kid. My mom shepherded me. Who are you shepherding? doesn't have to be a kid. We're all called to be shepherds. Look for opportunities to be a shepherd, to care, to nurture, to come alongside, to protect. Lots of ways to do it. Back to our text. Not under compulsion, but willingly. And then not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That's the second one. Chuck Swindoll says, if you're in a position of church leadership, be careful. Before you know it, you begin to fall into the trap of believing only what you say and seeing only what you discover. Any, any position of leadership, you can fall into that trap. Now, Troy and I realized that when we were putting this together, that we have a common person we know. Turns out to be Mrs. Pluteman, my mother-in-law. Um, go ahead and show this first picture. This, you're not going to know any of these people. I don't expect you to. But the, the person sitting on the couch, the adult, is my mother-in-law. I think this is 1949. She's, she's teaching a good news club. This was a, an after-school program where kids would come in. There'd be flannel graphs. How many know what a flannel graph is? <laughs> Some of you are going, I'm clueless. I don't know what that is. Anyway, back in the days of flannel graph, that, that, tell Bible stories, tell the gospel, lead kids to Christ. Shepherd kids. There's another picture here, and that's Mrs. Pluteman on the far right. You know who knows who some of those kids are? A fellow named Troy Greasy. He went to my mother-in-law's Good News Club. What a cool connection. But you think of Mrs. Pluteman's willingness to invest, willingness to 
Put up with rowdy kids and tell them the gospel and how to be followers of Jesus. Again, back to our text, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The third way that elders or Christians are to shepherd, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a gentleman named Dr. R. Laird Harris. He was a prof- one of my professors at seminary. And this would have been in the early, late 70s, early 1980s, when the New International Version was being developed. He, at one point, was the chairman of the committee of the NIV. This guy knew his stuff. He'd show up to class and all he'd have is his Hebrew Bible and he'd just flip it open and start reading. His wife was also dying of cancer. I was in the basement helping him with a book. He was writing the theological word book of the Old Testament. And I was doing some stuff that I know he could do, but it was kind of grunt work. So I was helping out before computers, you know, and I was doing some cross-referencing kind of stuff. And I was down in his basement working on this. He was upstairs. And I had a question. So I go upstairs and I wanted to approach him with this question. I don't remember the question, but I remember what I saw. When I went upstairs, here was Dr. Harris with a three-by-five card with a verse written on it. He was reviewing verses he'd memorized. (laughs) It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. The word is still the foundation because the word points to Christ our only hope. If you look at, if you read through First Peter and you, you key on words like trial and suffering, you'll find in every chapter, Peter talks about suffering and trial. Every chapter. This is not a minor theme. This is a major theme to Peter because he's addressing people who are suffering. We as believers might not think we suffer here in America, but we do. All of you come from backgrounds, from situations, circumstances, even now, that have resulted or are resulting in your suffering. You're going through tough times. Those are real. Peter's not trying to make light of what we as believers are going through. But he does want us to know that, yes, sufferings are real, but Jesus is realer. (laughs) I know that's not a word. But I think it, it, it captures what Peter's trying to get across to us, that sufferings are real, bad times are real, junk happens, life is messy, Yes, but don't stop there. Don't stop there. Look to the one who is realer. Focus on Jesus. It puts into perspective, doesn't dismiss, doesn't take away, but it puts into perspective what we're going through. I I heard a preacher one time talking about um, 
temporary and eternal. And some of you, I think I used this in Faith Builders one time. Temporary. That's where we are right now. Temporary. Eternal. That's where our focus needs to be. Not to dismiss the temporary, but to put it in perspective. To cause us to focus on what's really the reality. Yeah, what we're going through is real. What you're going through is real. What you might fear for this coming week or month or year, it's real. Jesus is realer. I want to end by painting a picture. Believe me, you don't want me to draw it. <laughs> you wouldn't have any idea what I'm drawing. But I want, I want to paint a picture. There's a time in Mark chapter 9. It's Mark chapter 9 starts out with the transfiguration. And you've got Peter, James, and John led up onto this hill. They see Jesus transfigured. And they are clueless what's going on. So you've got them coming down the mountain. They ask about Elijah, and they, Jesus answers their question, but they're still wondering what. They're just head-scratching. That's all they're doing. They, they don't know what's going on. They've seen this. They know what they've seen. They don't really know what it means. They, the four of them come down, the three disciples and Jesus, and they come across a crowd arguing with the other nine disciples. Some guy has brought his son, who's demon-possessed, who can't speak, the demon's trying to kill his son. And this guy brought, Jesus isn't around, so he takes him to the nine disciples. They can't do anything. And so you have the teachers of the law arguing with the nine disciples, and Peter, James, and John, and Jesus come upon this scene. I love, Mark likes to describe the reaction of the people. And I love the reaction he describes here. He said, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. When was the last time you were overwhelmed with wonder looking at Jesus? That's the bottom line. That's the motivation. That's what drives us to shadow the shepherd. To look to Jesus, not only what he's done for us, but using what he's done for us and what he is doing for us to shepherd other people. You know, we, we, we shouldn't be just people who, who take in grace and don't do anything with it. We should pass it on. I think that's what suffering does. That's what experience with walking with Jesus does. It allows us to see the shepherd, shepherding us, and then overwhelmed with wonder, we go, who can, who can I shepherd? Who can I help? Who can I invest in? Who are you investing in? As believers, we're called to invest. We're called to shepherd. We're called to care about people. We have a responsibility. Be overwhelmed with wonder when you look at Jesus, but then turn to those around you and invest. Father, we are 
overwhelmed when we look at your gift, when we, when we, words can't, can't describe it. Thank you for how you have invested in us, for how you have cared for us, how you've nurtured us. Cause us, Lord, to look to you as we live each day, each moment, and invest and shepherd people around us. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.